Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Come on, Harbor, make some noise. Come on, be awake. There we go. Man, it is good to see you guys. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Those of you that are joining online right now, if you're watching it on YouTube or Facebook or listen to this on the podcast or if you're in the overflow room and all of you guys that are in here in the room with me, man, thank you so much for coming. If this is your first time at Harbor, this some of you, this might be your first time at any church ever, we're, we're stoked that you're with us. Truly, it means a lot that you would come and uh, just take a, a, a few minutes out of, your, out of your time to see what God might have for you. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here. And as Katie mentioned, we're in a series called Travel Plans, and we're going to jump into week four of Travel Plans. And the idea behind this series is simply talking about the, the God of the Bible that we read continually seems to unveil a roadmap and a plan for our lives. He says that he knows every hair on your head, which means that he knows more about you than you know about you. And he tells us over and over again that he has a plan laid out, a path laid out, that if we'll just trust him, if we will lean into what it is he's called us to do, his path for our life is so much better than our path. The Bible says that he can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could ask or think if we would be willing to follow after him. The problem is... We struggle to obey. We struggle. There we go. A few people, you're like, no, okay. (laughs) We struggle to do what it is he's called us to do. Here's why. Because growth and that kind, especially spiritual growth, to become more of the woman or the man that God created you to be will always be uncomfortable. You don't grow in your comfort zone. You're going to have to take a step that requires you to trust him more than you're currently trusting him right now. It will, or else you're not gonna grow. You're just not gonna grow. As long as it stays easy, you don't trust anymore. So God is constantly calling you in different areas of your life to trust him in new ways that the issue we have is we don't like to do that. And when he calls us on this journey, many of us, we got, we're ready to go, but we got stuff we're bringing along. Coming, God. I'm coming. Hold up. I got a few things. Got a few things to bring with you guys. Wait on me. Can't go anywhere without my stuff. What am I talking about? I'm talking about have you ever been with somebody who uh, has too many things that they care about? We're only going for a few days. I know, but everything in here is important. How is that possible? I can't, I can't go without this. Now, some of you travel with people who need multiple big bags of stuff. And some of you who aren't laughing are the people who do that. And we all have reasons why. Like, I don't understand. I have to you don't know. I got it. Okay, sure. All right, whatever. You got an excuse. Here's the thing. When it comes to our spiritual journeys, all of us, have baggage. Every single one of us have crap that we bring in to our walk with God because we're not perfect and because we struggle. What he calls us to on our journey is to learn how to let go of a lot of this. I would admit, I would imagine and admit that many of us don't even realize how many bags we're bringing on our spiritual journey. You're like, oh, not me, pastor. I'm good. (laughs) We'll find out. Let's look at a story about somebody who has a lot of baggage. We've looked at Abraham or Abram when God called him on a journey. That was week one. God picked Abram out of the middle of nowhere and says, hey, follow me. Just start walking and I'll tell you where I want you to go. And that hurt those of us that are control freaks because we don't want to walk until we know every step. And so we're like, God, show me exactly what's happening and then I'll trust you. And God goes, that's not called trust. That's called you being in control, and that's not how I grow you. Well, then we looked the next week at Samson, who, although incredibly strong, very powerful, God had a great plan for his life, going to use him as a mighty judge. He gets derailed by going down a path, pursuing things that God wasn't God's best for him. His area of struggle 
was the path of romance, relationships. And so we talked about how that can detour us a lot. Last week, we looked at a girl named Hagar and how she was on a journey. And because of the weird, awkward situation she found herself in, she was in a really tough spot and probably spent much of her time going, God doesn't even care. And we looked at how a woman last week could get to a place where she said, God sees me, God hears me, even on the dark parts of my journey. But for this week, for our journey this week, I want us to look at a guy named Saul. Now Saul, the Old Testament Saul, a little bit different from the New Testament Saul, the Old Testament Saul was a nobody that God said, hey, I want to do something really cool and unique through you. The problem with him is that he comes with a lot of baggage. I want you to hear the beginning of his story, not the very beginning, but the part that we're going to start with is in 1 Samuel chapter 10. We'll go back to chapter 9 in a minute, but in 1 Samuel chapter 10, what's going on is that the Israelites have decided they no longer want to serve God the way that they have been, where they just trust God. They want a human leader because all of the countries around them have kings, and they say, we want a king, just like everybody else. Some of y'all haven't realized I started preaching. Um, Sometimes the people that God has called to be set apart and trust him care way too much about everybody else is doing around them and care way too much about looking like all of the lost people, the people who don't know God, and they actually lose out on what would have been God's best for them because they compromise the standard that God had for their life because they're so eager to emulate and look like everybody else. Let's look at what happened. God goes to his prophet Samuel. Samuel was the man of God. And Samuel's like, God, these people want a king. And God goes, it's okay, Samuel. Let's give them what they're asking for. They want it. They're going to regret it. But go ahead and give them a king. So Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 20, brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord. And the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by lot. That means they cast lots. They went through the 12 tribes, and then when they picked out the 12 tribes, they drew a lot, and they said, okay, our next leader comes from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, none of this was a surprise to Samuel. The chapter before, Samuel, God already told Samuel, hey, I'm going to pick Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. He's going to be the next king. Go, go anoint him. Go tell him that it's coming. Now, Samuel's there, and they're casting lots, and go, oh, big surprise, Benjamin's the tribe. And it says, then they brought each family from the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and they drew lots again, and the family of the Metrites was chosen. And then finally, when they get to that family or that clan, then they get to Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen from among them. And I'm sure Samuel was like, what? <laughs> he already knew. Um, but it says when they, when they figured out it was Saul, it says when they looked for him, he had disappeared. And not in a really cool, spiritual, like supernatural way. They had had a, they had a luggage cart where people would put all their bags because they had to travel so far to come to this. And it says in verse 22, they asked the Lord, where is he? Where's Saul? And the Lord replied, he's hiding among the baggage. <laughs> Homeslice knew he was going to get elected as king and when he sees his tribe get picked and then his clan get picked, he goes and he dips out and high, he does that, like that Homer Simpson meme where he just kind of goes into the bushes. <laughs> I'm out. Starts backpedaling. They go and they find their new king, the thing they've been asking for, hiding in the baggage. It says they found him and brought him out and, and he stood head and shoulders above everyone. He's a wicked tall guy. And Samuel said to the people, this guy, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all of Israel is like him. You guys got a special one. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Man, they got exactly what they wanted. The problem is they had a king. They were supposed to serve God. He's perfect. But since they couldn't see him and everybody else had a human king, they, they opted for the human king. And the human king much like all of us in this room, comes with a lot of baggage. I, I don't want to pick on Saul because, yeah, he's not perfect, but neither are we. I do think we get an opportunity, though, this weekend to learn from his baggage mistakes. 
Have you ever, have you ever noticed how tough it is to travel with baggage? Some of you, I guess, don't travel. I have horrible luck when it comes to travel. I have to travel a lot. And um, yeah, it just never works out well. Um, I'll tell you one day about a plane I was in that crashed. Um, that's true. Um, they, the, the baggage has been a nightmare for me. I always try to carry on to a plane because then I'm holding on to my baggage. But sometimes you can't fit all that you need into a carry-on. And they keep making the spot smaller and smaller. So they're like, okay, so eventually you have to go get a giant bag. And you put all your crap in it. And then you get to the airport. And then you got to get this crap onto the plane. But they won't let you walk up to the plane with it. you got to check it at the beginning of the airport. So you got to get in a giant line with a bunch of people pulling all your crap. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Fire me coming through. And then when you finally get up to the counter, those people are horrible. And if you're a counter person, I love you, but let's own it. You sit there and you're like, well, Mr. Adams, how many bags are we checking? How much crap do you want to put on my plane, Mr. Adams? That's just one bag here. And if you've had to use one of these, then you know in your head it's overweight. If I could fit it, it would be in my carry-on. It's too much crap for my carry-on, so I know it weighs too much. And so I'm trying to act like it doesn't. So I, like, I'm trying to like maybe psych them out so they're not like suspicious. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, maybe they won't even pay attention to how much it weighs because it's so light. So I'm like, yeah, here you go. And I try to act like it's like, like weightless. I'm like, yeah, you go. It's just, don't even feel it. And then you go over and you... You try to like slowly lower it onto the thing and you're watching the numbers. And you're like, where's it going to stop? So, you know, maybe you cheat a little bit. You put your foot right here on the edge and you leave it hanging off. You have the bag on. And you're like, if I lower it and like, like have that. It's like us stepping on the scale in our bathrooms. We're like, if I kind of halfway hover, maybe, maybe I'll lose weight in a very cool way and you just gotta lower it down. And they love it when your bag is overweight. You know that smile that the Grinch gets on the, on the he's like, yeah. Well, look at you, Mr. Adams. It seems like you're overweight. And that's personal. They're like, your bag, it's over 50 pounds, or how many ever kilograms they say. I don't know how that works. They're like, you're gonna, they're like, you're, you're overweight. Yeah. It's gonna be $1 million. Or you could take some crap out of your bag. And I'm like, huh, oh, that's an option? Okay. Then I have to do the shuffle of shame. We're like, let me, let me just put this down. Now everybody's mad at you because you're slowing down. And you're unzipping all of your stuff that you were hoping nobody would ever see. And you're in public. And it feels like 3,000 people are watching you like this. And you're like, oh, let me, just let me get some of my crap out. And then you're playing this game where like now all of a sudden you know how much stuff weighs and you're like, how much was it over? Oh, 12 kilograms? Let me just, that's one, bear, that's one pair of jeans and now you're like cramming it in your bag. By the way, it's not fair for big people. I'm almost 6'3", 200 pounds and one shoe weighs 25 pounds for me. One shoe. Like it's not fair. But like, I'm, I'm now like trying to repack all of my junk just to get my baggage on the plane. And I sit there and I wonder, I'm like, how is, how does, do I really, I really have to pull two pairs of socks out so this plane doesn't crash? You see that guy that weighs 800 pounds in line behind me? He's going to be on the plane with, well, whatever. You struggle when it comes to unpacking your baggage because none of us really want to deal with this. I need it there. I feel like I need it there. But I don't actually want anybody to see it. I don't have to think about it. And yet it becomes a huge part of my trip. And I've traveled enough that I've lost these bags. Now I've learned, don't put something in them that you can't live without. You should always travel with your own deodorant and your own underwear and your own carry-on. Because this will get lost nine times out of ten, at least in my experience. Our problem when we travel with baggage, though, is that we struggle 
we struggle to really trust God. We struggle to really trust God that we can go without all the stuff we want to bring. Saul was this way. Now, I don't know what your baggage is, but I think for Saul's story, it was insecurity. Paul, uh, Saul, I want to call him Paul. His name's Saul. Saul's struggle is that he cared too much what everybody else thought about him. Now, he was the first king, but he got wrapped up in trying to make everybody like him. Now, guys, I don't know if that's yours. Your, your, your baggage today might be an addiction. Your baggage might be somebody you hurt. It might be the fact that you were hurt. Maybe you have trauma from your childhood. Maybe your baggage is, is the fact that you keep turning to, to alcohol or pills or something else to make yourself happy. Maybe it's the fact that you're a workaholic. Maybe, I don't know what it is. Fill in the blank. But I do know that Saul, who struggled with insecurity, needed everybody to like him. And we live in a day and age where everything you do is put out for mass consumption because you're trained that you need to get everybody to like you and your pictures and your family and your life and what you're doing at this exact moment. And you just hope everybody thumbs ups it, hearts it, condones it, whatever. We are geared to, to struggle with the same thing that Saul does. Why? Because the devil knows it's an easy way to mess up our journey. How does that play out? Well, Saul, if you look at chapter 15, Saul is told that he has a job. Samuel, the prophet, the man of God, shows up and says, Saul, and this is in uh, verse one, is the Lord who told me to anoint you as, 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 his, his, uh, as king of his people. And I want you to listen to this message from the Lord. Now, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has to declare. I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now, the Amalekites attacked the Israelites when they were just slaves coming out of Egypt. About 400 years earlier, the Amalekites, who, by the way, are descendants of Esau, and that's a whole other family problem, they attacked the Israelites because they, they see them as vulnerable and weak. And God, now, now that they've settled in the promised land, says, hey, the Amalekites are part of that Canaanite curse where I want them eliminated. He goes, go in there, kill everybody, kill everything. He goes, don't even take their livestock back then was like big, is like a big way to show wealth. He goes, don't take their camels or their donkeys, kill everything. I don't want anything for the Amalekites left. Well, if you jump to verse number nine, it says, Saul and his men spared Agag, that's the king of the Amalekites. They spared his life and they kept the best of the sheep and goats and cattle and fat calves and the lambs Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. You understand how opposite it was of what God told them to do? Yeah. Yeah. Go in, kill everybody, kill everything. I don't want any of that crap hanging around. That stuff is all tainted. It's all cursed. I want it out of my promised land. Saul's like, well, I mean, some of it's got some value. Now, why does he disobey? Why doesn't he take the hard step that God called him to? Because Satan will always offer you a slightly easier counterfeit. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king. He has not been loyal to me and he has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. I want to stop for just a second. We're going to get into Saul. But I feel like I need to say this to some of you. Much like Saul, you're doing so much damage because you're disobeying. And Saul would have thought, who am I hurting? Do you understand how brokenhearted Samuel is? Do you understand how disappointed God is? Like he's, he's jacking up God's plan for him, which means he's missing out on God's blessings. Samuel, his spiritual covering, his pastor, if you would, is brokenhearted over the stupid choices he's making. He ends up, if you read, if you read previously, if you look in uh, 1 Samuel 13, verse 13, he, he disobeys and, and he's, got a, he's got a habit of disobeying. He gets scared that his men are going to leave, so he offers a sacrifice that Samuel is supposed to offer. And Samuel says in verse 13, how foolish you have not kept the command of the Lord your God that he gave you, and had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom, kingdom over Israel forever. You could, you and your sons and your grandsons and your great grand they could have been the kings of Israel forever. If you would have just obeyed Saul, 
But see, Saul, afraid that his men would leave, afraid that he wouldn't be able to rally his men, he doesn't do what God calls him to do. And here's the reason I bring this up, is some of you are damaging your families, you're damaging your friendships, you're damaging the future that you could have because you're right now disobeying. I think God brought you to hear this message simply because he wants you to understand he's got better for you and you're making some choices that are not, that are, are not his best and therefore you're gonna compromise and miss out. Let's go on though. He says, I'm sorry that I ever made him. I'm sorry that he did this. And then in verse 12, early the next morning, Samuel goes out to find Saul. He's been crying over him all night. He goes to find him. And, he, and someone tells him, well, hey, Saul was here. He went on down to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. And then he went on to Gilgal. What did he do? Bro gets one victory under his belt. Now, all of a sudden, the God who gave him the victory, now you'll find out later, he's going to offer, he wants to offer God a sacrifice. He wants to offer God to build an altar to God. But before he builds an altar to God, what's he build? A monument to himself. He's got to make sure nobody forgets him. You see the insecurity popping up? See, God told him, hey, go do this, go do this battle. He's like, yep, I'm going to go do battle. I just got to, I'm, I'm, I'm really insecure. I really got to make sure nobody forgets about all me. See, he could have said, yeah, it's not about me, God. It's about you. You give me the victory. You, you led me. Guys, let's all praise God. It's all about what God's doing. But no, he showed up and he's like, guys, I just got to, here's my insecure. I just got to stand on this and tell everybody how great I am. You ever met somebody? Who as soon as you meet them, they feel like they, they, like they got to tell you all about themselves. Well, this is where I grew up, and this is what happened to me, and this is what I've done, and this is where I'm at. And you're like, bro, just ask if you're having a good day. Didn't need your whole life story. Why? Because insecurity and baggage usually indicates that we think it's all about us. We think the story is about us. We think that everything that's going on should come back to us so that we are made famous or we are known or we are appreciated, we are valued. There are parents who the only reason they think their kids exist is to make them look like good parents. You're like, you know God might have a plan for that kid that doesn't revolve around you getting accolades for being a great mom or a great dad. See, how we are just naturally selfish and make everything about us. Here's something you should write down. If you are the center of your story, then God isn't the center of your life. If you have to be the main character, then you're not going to be able to give God the glory. And the baggage that you're holding on to, this need to be remembered, to be valued, to be seen, to be appreciated, this is gonna rob you of God's best. Let's move on. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. Saul didn't come out and was like, oh, sorry, Samuel, I done messed up. Saul comes out going, hey, buddy, I'm glad you're here. Look what he says. May the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's command. I did everything you asked. I've been doing it. You ever get to the point, you ever get to the point where you start to say that you're doing the right thing so that you hopefully can get yourself to believe that you're doing the right thing? You just start rehearsing the story differently. If I leave out the bad parts and I only talk about the good parts, then I'll start to believe that I only have good. Now, did he go to battle? Yes. Did he win the battle? Sure. Let's just focus on the good. You know what we tend to do? We tend to compare ourselves to people who haven't done as much as us to justify the fact that we're not doing what God has called us to do. I'm a better mom than she is, so I'm okay. And God might be like, no, your temper is, is a problem and you're not being the mom you should be. Yeah, but I take better care than she does, so I'm a better mom. 
it's not about you comparing yourself to her. It's about God called you to love in a, in a different way. He's called you to step up and to grow into what it is he's called you to be. And you're not doing it, but you're justifying it because you want to compare yourself to somebody else. Well, I mean, I go to church. <laughs> yeah, well, God's called you to faithfully serve him by going out and being literally being a testimony to somebody else and serving somebody else. But because you go to church, you're going to say no to God and compare yourself to your neighbor who never goes to church. And that makes you good. See, it's a delusion that we find ourselves under. I need you to understand that you will never see the lie that Satan has put in front of you if you aren't looking for God's truth. You won't see the lie. You won't see the lie. You'll buy into everything that the world has told you. You'll buy into the fact that, yeah, there's, you know, I mean, that, this is pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. God, God calls you to take this step to be gracious and patient with your spouse. And Satan offered you a counterfeit, which said, you know what? How about ignore your spouse and tell them, tell them that, they're, that they're the reason you're mad or don't tell them they're the reason. Make them guess why you're mad. And that'll feel good. And you're like, yeah, I'll take that step. Why did you take a step that wasn't God's step for you? Well, this one was easier. And you start to believe that you're still taking the right step. You're not. God calls you to tithe and you're supposed to give your money back to him and trust him. But Satan came up and said, you know what? You could take that tithe and buy yourself a nice big screen TV. And then you could invite somebody from church over to watch the Patriots game. And that would be just like tithing. And you're like, yeah, it would. He goes, no, that's not how it works. You, this lie that, that Satan will put in front of you will keep you from understanding the path that God has for you. And this, is, this should really tick off some parents in here. The world is putting so many lies in front of your children. Why? Because John 8 says that you, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The world and the devil doesn't want you free. They don't want your kids free. So you're going to constantly be hearing lies. And the lies will always be steps to take that are that are not quite God's best for you. Now Saul took a step and Satan is totally cool if you take a step that looks a little bit like God's step as long as it's not God's step. As long as he can get you to compromise God's best, it's a win for him. And you might be like, well, I still did some good stuff. And he's like, that's right, you're so good. And all you've done is you've told yourself that you don't have to do what God's called you to do. If you believe the lie, if that's all that you see, you're you never going to find God's truth. Samuel goes on. Saul shows up and goes, I did everything you asked me to do. Pat me on the back. And Samuel literally goes, look at this in this next verse. Samuel literally goes, what is the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle that I hear? He demanded. I did everything. I did every, if you guys don't read the Bible with a little bit of sense of humor, I did it all. Everything God asked me to do. And Sam was like, everything? Everything. You cleaned your room? Completely. Should I open your closet door? Don't open the closet door! I literally see something moving under your bed. That's fine. It's clean, though. He shows up. He's like, you did Everything? Totally, did everything. <laughs> Pay no attention to that, Samuel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't hear anything. You hear something? I don't hear anything. I don't even hear. What, what do you think you hear? You think you hear something? Samuel, your ears are getting old, bro. I don't know that. To watch this exchange, Samuel's like, you did everything, huh? I can literally hear the animals right now. When your mom calls and you're like, what party? She's like, the party I hear in the background of the phone right now. Like, <laughs> it's true, the next verse, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats and the cattle, Saul admitted, uh, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We, we destroyed everything else. Okay, maybe I didn't do exactly what I was supposed to. 
but I did destroy everything else. And I only saved the ones. The only reason I did the bad thing was because I'm going to do a good thing with it because I'm actually a good guy. So you can't be mad because the reason I did the bad thing is because I'm doing a good thing. Some of y'all are looking at me like, you don't do this. Here's what you need to write down. True repentance doesn't include excuses. Now, this is big time for those. Now, this isn't just between you and God. This is also a way when you're fighting with a family member, talking to your parents, a sister, a brother, a spouse, a boss. If you have to make an excuse in your apology, it isn't a real apology. Here's the reason that I, I'm sorry, but I did it because. No, 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 no more because. Don't listen. If you're really sorry, just say, I shouldn't have done it. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. I will not do that again. That's a real apology. But I'm sorry, but you make me so mad because you do this and you do this. You do. I lost my temper because you suck. And, da, da, da. and you give all the excuses for why you, you're not apologizing. You're just voicing more reasons why you think that you're not that wrong. Go on. Next verse. Samuel said to Saul, stop. Shut up. I'm paraphrasing. The man of God literally looks, just shut up, just zip it, zip, 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 zip. Shut up, Saul. You want to hear what God told me about you last night? And you could almost feel the tension in the, in the thing change. So what, what, what did he tell you? What, what did he tell you, Saul asked? God, God, God talked to you about me? Last night? Like before you even got here? So like you already knew I've been lying? Been lying this whole time? Yeah, I knew you were lying. You know what God told me? Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, you're not the, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you as king of Israel. You see what he's talking about here, and there's a couple of, a couple of thoughts that, that some different scholars and commentators have. He says, you think so little of yourself. Now, this might be meaning one of two things. If you go back to before they elected Saul as king, Samuel showed up in Samuel 9 and told Saul, Hey, we're looking for a king. God's hands on you. Get ready. And Saul's answer was, in verse number 21, I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin. That's the smallest tribe in all of Israel. And my family's the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? Wait, don't put that on me. I'm a nobody. See, he already, he started with a ton of insecurity. Now, this is what the scholars are thinking. Is it saying that he's still... He's still whining about being a nobody or is it that he switched into arrogant mode to cover up his insecurity that he thinks all of a sudden he's got it all? One or two, one or two possibilities there. Which, what is it? Do you think you got it all? You think you know everything? Or are you really just self-deprecating? Now, some of, you, some of you falsely believe that humility means being self-deprecating. That is not humble. There is an arrogance to being self-deprecating, by the way. You're like, how is that arrogant? You see, there's an arrogance where you assume that your issues and your hang-ups and your screw-ups and all of your problems are too big for God to use you. Do you understand that that is an arrogant way of viewing yourself? My things are so big. My screw-ups, my broken marriage, my addiction, the relationships I've heard, they're, they're too big for God to fix. The arrogance, the ego on you, that you, in all of your awesomeness and your influence and the impact that you have, create a problem that's too big for God. Satan has got you to believe that you're beyond help. Why? Because you're insecure, because you're baggage. Or he's got you in the victimhood mentality, where you have placed your identity in your struggles instead of in your savior. This is, uh, this is who I am. This is what it is. This is just all I'll ever be. Here's what you need to understand. Insecurity isn't thinking little of yourself. That's not what it really is. It's not thinking little of yourself. It's actually thinking little of your God. Insecurity isn't, oh, I just got to think less of myself. No, what insecurity is, is you think too little of God. And this is why some of you can't let go of your bag because God's saying, come with me. And you're like, I'm coming, God, but I can't go with, like, I need all this. 
See, if I really think you're going to take care of me, if I think you got toothpaste and a brand new toothbrush and my kind of deodorant, and I think you got everything I need at your house, let's go. I hate bags, man. I want to travel free, but I can't travel free if I don't trust you. Some of y'all aren't traveling with God free because you've you got to bring all the stuff that you think he will let you down on. He doesn't have your size. He doesn't have a closet full of brand new stuff that would fit you. No way he could do that. Yeah, God can do whatever he wants on your journey. You just don't have the faith that says, I can let go of my baggage. Let's move on. Verse number 18. And the Lord sent, the Lord sent you on a mission. This is Samuel still talking to Saul. He told you to go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why didn't you rush to the plunder and do evil in the Lord's sight? Here's Saul's answer. But, but I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I, I carried out the mission that he gave me. Yeah, I didn't kill Agag. I, I brought him back, but I destroyed everybody else. We talked about Abraham where God said, let's go, go now. And I, I gave you one. I said, delayed obedience is called disobedience. You got to add to it, partial obedience is also disobedience. See, some of us are like, well, I'm doing a lot of the things that God told me to do. He's like, but you're missing out on it. You're missing out on it. Tell my kid, hey, I want you to go to each of the bathrooms, empty the bathroom trash into the big trash can, take that trash bag out to the to the, the big trash can outside, and then wheel that trash can up to the end of the driveway so that the dump truck come get it. Now, what happens when they take the trash from the bathrooms and put it in the big trash can, and then take the big trash and take it outside and put it in the big trash can out there, but they forget to get it to the road? Oh, the dump truck comes and knocks on my door and asks if I have any trash for the day, and they wait patiently. No, they just drive on by. And my trash can overflows. But that's not that my kids disobeyed. They, they did 90% of it. See, some of us, were wondering why the trash in our life is piling up. And it's because you're obeying somewhat, but not all the way. And that's actually called disobedience. Move on in the story. His next line, I did most of it. He then finishes by saying, my troops brought in the best of the sheep, the goats and the cattle and the plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Who does he mention in this one sentence here? My troops, not me, these guys brought all of it, but the reason they did it is so that we can sacrifice to your God, Sammy. See all the people that aren't in there? Saul's never in that one. Why? Well, because if you can blame somebody else, you don't have to take any ownership. Some of y'all aren't going to like this. But the fact that other people are the reason that you do the things that you shouldn't be doing is a clear indicator that you have baggage that you have not confessed. There are some of you that if, I, if we sat down and had a real honest conversation about why you're doing some of the dumb things, you would blame your mom or your dad or your boss or your ex-wife, or your ex-husband. You would blame whoever, that friend that stabbed you in the back. It's always somebody else's fault that you've screwed up. The sin that you committed isn't your fault. It's because, well, Pastor Josh, you don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. You are responsible for you. And when you do the wrong thing, it's not because somebody else made you. We all have reasons. See, what this is, this is the baggage that leads you to blame shift. Some of y'all aren't smiling at me. Is that because you understand that there's a many a time that you have told God or you told yourself or you told somebody else that the bad thing that happened was because of somebody else? Well, they did this. They said that. Here's, here's what you should understand. You can't find the solution when you see everyone else as the problem. You can't find the solution. You're looking for an answer. You will not come to the, the God-given answer as long as you keep putting everybody else as the ones that need the, re the repentance. He gives them. He says, hey, it's them. And Samuel replies this. 
Here's the end of the story, verse 22. Samuel replied, what's more pleasing to the Lord, Saul? Your burnt offerings and these sacrifices that you're gonna do or your obedience to his voice? Actually doing what he's called you to do. Listen, exclamation point. Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than, than the offering of fat rams. Rebellion, your unwillingness to do everything that God calls you to do, that's the same as, as sinful as witchcraft. And the stubbornness, your stubbornness, some of y'all look at me like, yeah, it's all stubborn. No, your stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I've sinned. I disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, but I was afraid of what people of the, what the people would do, and, and I did as they commanded. I was afraid of what everybody else would think. See, now we're starting to unpack the bag. Saul said, hey, man, you can't bring this. And, or Samuel said, you can't bring this. And Saul puts down his bag and unzips it. And he goes, but, but I need it. I'm so worried about what people would do. I was worried about what people might say. If you don't get anything else out of this message, I need you to understand something. You can't be surrendered to Christ and simultaneously searching for celebrity. You can't be so consumed. You need to understand, pleasing people and pleasing God do not go together. Some of you that are people pleasers, it, it, there's an insecurity in you that you need people to like you. You need people to pat you on the back. You need people to praise you. You need your dad to give you an attaboy. You need your boss to tell you that you're, you're valuable. You need that. You need likes on Instagram. and on, on, uh, you, you need your social media to, to have people approving of you. Even if you've never met them, you just need to know that they like what you like or what you do. You crave other people's validation of you and what that will do that will always rob you of putting yourself under God. Here's how you can write this. You can either be dependent on God's will or driven by people's opinions. You can do one or the other. You can be dependent on God's will for your life or you can be driven by what other people think. He struggled with this. He struggled with the fact that God was not his main priority. He cared more about pleasing the people of Israel so that he could stay king and he forgot who it was that made him king. Galatians 1, Paul writes to the church at Galatia and says this in verse 10. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. I can't be Christ's servant and be a people pleaser. Some of y'all need to write that down. Take this verse, mull it over. I can't be a people pleaser and be a servant of God because one will steal my loyalty from the other. So Samuel says, that's it, man. You've screwed up. You messed up. You didn't obey. God would have been way happier with your obedience than your fake offerings. And Saul's answer Please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Doesn't that sound like he, it sounds like he's doing the right thing? I want to worship the Lord. But watch. Samuel replied, I'm not going back with you since you've rejected the Lord's command. He's rejected you as king of Israel. Saul gets so desperate for Samuel's approval and for Samuel to help him get the approval of others, the Bible says he reaches down, he grabs on the Samuel, won't let go of him, and he ends up ripping Samuel's clothes. And Samuel says, the way you've ripped my clothes is the way that God has ripped the kingdom from you. And he's already given it to somebody else. And he was prophetically speaking about David because of Saul's actions right here. Saul hears that, and Saul's response is not, dear God, forgive me, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I shouldn't have done that, I did wrong. I made the mistake. 
I'm sorry, I will never do that again, God forgive me. He doesn't do that. What he does is it says, Saul pleaded again, I know I've sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I can worship the Lord your God. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with them and Saul worshiped the Lord. And you might read that and think, oh, it ended good, Saul worshiped the Lord. Do you understand you can worship a lot of things? Oh, but he's worshiping the Lord, so it's all good. He's doing an act with his body that is not connected to his heart. He said, hey, I want you to look at the verse before it. Go bring up, the, bring up 30, please. He says, I want you to go back so that the elders and the people of Israel will see you. I need you as the pastor, as the prophet, as the man of God. I need you to stand beside me so everybody will see me being spiritual and they'll think that God is still with me. He heard that God was no longer with him. And instead of saying, that breaks my heart, I want God more than I want anything else. He said, okay, God's not with me, but can we at least fake it so that everybody thinks God's with me? Guys, don't, don't look down on Saul. The modern day equivalent of that would be somebody who comes to church and sings a song, raises their hand, and posts a Bible verse on Instagram and never surrenders their heart to God. Somebody who tells everybody else about how Christian they are, how much they love God, but they don't actually surrender themselves to God's plan for their life. Saul faked it. It looks good to others, but it misses out on the power of the connection. It looks good. Everybody else is like, oh man, Saul's spiritual, look at him. Do you know that this is the last time that him and Samuel ever hang out? He loses the opportunity to have Samuel as a mentor in his life. Samuel doesn't want anything to do with him after this. And by the way, all you see is insecurity grip Saul more and more. Right after this, you hear a story about the Philistines sending a giant. Saul's too insecure to fight him. And when a little shepherd boy kills the giant, Saul gets insecure about a shepherd boy. Insecurity, insecurity, insecurity. Why? Because he never gave it to God. He kept pursuing what everybody else put on him. How can we deal with that? Well, you're going to have to figure out who you trust. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to trust God right now in this moment. With whatever it is that scares you. Your baggage may not be insecurity. Your baggage may be the fact that God has called you to take a step and you're not willing to take it. Here's what John 1, 1 John 1, 9 says. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or all wickedness. Why? He says, I want you to trust me. All Saul had to do was trust that God's plan was actually better than his plan. God would have forgiven him and God would have put him right back on the path to work in his life. But Saul said, I'll forfeit God's plan for my life, the journey that God's called me on, and I'll take this path over here where I can get people to like me. And it ruined him. It ruined his family. He missed out on so much of what God had for him because he didn't actually trust God. In a second, we're going to sing a song that says, how can we ever find one so faithful? We'll bring 1 John 1, 9 back up. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's faithful. You can trust God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even though you and I lose faith in him, he will not stop being faithful for us. But it's going to come back to what do you trust in your journey? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to pray out loud. I want you to pray right where you're at. Invite God into your life to do a work in your heart. Either trust him for the very first time or let go of some baggage. Some of you have never trusted Jesus and right now you're hearing this message because God is telling you, 
I want to save you. I want to take away your sins and I have a better plan for your life. But you're going to have to trust that that plan is better than your plan. And that's what that's going to require. It's going to require you surrendering to the Lord. So right now in this moment, just have a quiet conversation between you and the Lord and say, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart, would you make right now the moment where you you open up your heart and you say, God, I need a different Lord. I need somebody else in the driver's seat. I need somebody else calling the shots. I surrender to you. And maybe, maybe there's somebody here that's hearing this message and you would say, I'm already a believer. I'm already a Christian. But the truth is you're not on the journey the way you should be. You're not nearly where you should be because you have slowed down to bring along some baggage. God's trying to get your attention right now. He's using this message to say, hey, I got better for you. You have to decide if you're going to let go or if you're going to keep trying to justify it. My prayer for you, the way Samuel cared for Saul, don't, it breaks my heart to see you do dumb stuff where you trust more in what the world is offering you than what God is offering you. How about right now in this moment, you simply say, God, forgive me. Lord, help me. Help me care more about you and what you want. Help me get rid of this insecurity. Help me define my identity in you. As I pray out loud, would you just pray quietly right where you are? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you and we thank you. Lord, we love you. God, would you please help us? Would you help us trust you more? Would you help us know you better? Lord, would you be with the person who right now doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that this would be the time where they come to accept you as as the God of their life, as the plan that's better than their own plan. God, I pray for a room full of people, a, a group of people under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that, that all of us would learn to know you better, to trust you more. God, I pray that all of us would be the kind of people that would willingly let go of the things that we're bringing into this relationship that don't belong, that we would hear your Holy Spirit convicting us about baggage that doesn't belong. God, maybe it is insecurity. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's selfishness. God, there's something that is keeping us from taking the step that you've called us to. Would you help us, God, right now? Unpack that. Give it to you. Leave it at, at, at your feet and trust you going forward. God, may we decrease so that you can increase in our life. God, I pray that we would trust you truly trust you with whatever comes next. Help us, God. Help us do better. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.